When we started 10 years ago, my main focus was trying to be as sustainable as possible. Not that we really fully knew what that meant. Our main focus is large-scale events, and then sustainability is something we talk to our clients about a lot. The event industry, I think, is second after the construction industry in terms of waste. Yeah. I think we spend a lot of time like talking to clients and educating clients, and that's quite time-consuming, yeah. <laughs> to yeah. be honest, and a risk that you might lose the client also. Yeah. The reason why I even create these methods is to kind of push and inspire people to try new things. Hello again, and welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing. This is episode 604. This is the weekly podcast about slow flowers and the people who grow and design with them. It's all about making a conscious choice, and I invite you to join the conversation and the creative community as we discuss the vital topics of saving our domestic flower farms and supporting a floral industry that relies on a safe, seasonal, and local supply of flowers and foliage. This show is brought to you by slowflowers.com, the free online directory to more than 850 florists, shops, and studios who design with local, seasonal, and sustainable flowers and to the farms that grow those blooms. It's the conscious choice for buying and sending flowers. And thank you to our lead sponsor, Farm Girl Flowers. Farm Girl Flowers delivers iconic burlap wrap bouquets and lush, abundant arrangements to customers across the U.S. supporting U.S. flower farms by purchasing more than $10 million of U.S. grown fresh and seasonal flowers and foliage annually. Discover more at farmgrowflowers.com. And thank you to Store It Cold, creators of the revolutionary CoolBot, a popular solution for flower farmers, studio florists, and farmer florists. You can save thousands when you build your own walk-in cooler with the CoolBot system and an air conditioner. If you don't have time to build your own, they also have turnkey units available. Learn more at storeitcold.com. Before we get started today, I want to take a moment and reflect on the amazing and fulfilling gifts of friendship that I have experienced while producing and hosting the Slow Flowers podcast and the Slow Flowers show. Here we are coming up on our 10th anniversary later this summer in July, and I'm still energized, excited, and inspired by this special project and its impact on the floral marketplace here at home and around the globe. I'm often asked, how do you keep finding guests? Or isn't it hard to come up with people and topics to talk about? The true answer is no. There are many on my wish list who I still haven't booked to join me as a guest. My top priority, of course, is to feature our Slow Flowers members as often as possible. These are the talented creatives who share their stories, their art of floral design, their science of flower farming, and their entrepreneurial floral journeys with us. Today's guest is one such individual, and I'm delighted to introduce you to Ingrid Carosi of New York-based Tin Can Studios. Ingrid is the author of two books, Handpicked, A Guide to Custom Flower Arrangements, and published just last year, Flowers by Design, Creating Arrangements for Your Space. One of New York's most sought-after florists, Ingrid's work has been covered in Vogue, The New York Times, Martha Stewart Weddings, The Knot, and more. We're delighted that she is a Slow Flowers member, supporting this movement through her focus on sustainability in high-end wedding and event design. We have a bonus today in the second part of our interview, which I recorded on March 18th when I visited Ingrid's new studio in Long Island City, Queens, New York. 
Ingrid demonstrated one of her favorite sustainable design techniques. You can watch that video clip. You'll find it in our show notes at slowflowerspodcast.com for episode 604. Let's jump right in and get started. Deborah Prinzing here. I'm coming to you from Long Island City, which is basically Queens in New York. Correct. With Ingrid Carosi. Hi, Ingrid. So nice to meet you. Hi. I know. I'm delighted that you said yes when I invited myself here. This is the studio, the new studio of uh, space for Tin Can, Tin, Tin Can Studios. Mm-hmm. And um, tell us a little bit about this space and how big it is and uh, what you're going to do here. Yeah, so we were previously in uh, Red Hook in Brooklyn, and we outgrew that space. We were there for 10 years. Um, it was sort of just a hodgepodge of spaces that we kept taking over another space, another space. And we managed to find this beautiful space, high ceilings. Um, Lots of light. Yeah, 1,700 square feet, which is kind of big for New York. And we're actually going to... Um, start a cutting garden on the roof. Oh, my goodness. Yes. I'll see that next time. I yeah, yeah. So we're hoping uh, once the space is sort of finished, we're building walls, we're building a walk-in cooler. Um, we're building it in a way so that we can um, have workshops mm-hmm. and do some large-scale installation classes as well as comp book classes and just, like, have a little bit of fun in the studio on top of our regular business, which is um, our main focus is events. Yeah. Uh, large scale installation. Yeah, I was just going to ask you. Give us a snapshot of Tin Can Studios. You said you you kind of launched this ten years ago. Mm-hmm. So congratulations. Thank that's you. A, that's endurance. Yeah, it is. Yeah. You started to tell me about your story, and I stopped you and said, "No, let's get this up." Yeah, yeah. So this is really fun. Many of you are probably following Ingrid. Um, she's not a huge fan of social media, but you see her work, right? Are you on Instagram? I've right? sort of just been taking a break, to okay. be honest. Um, once the space is up and running, I'm hoping that it'll be easier to like do some nice videos and stuff like that. So I'm planning to get back in the game, and it's not like I'm completely off, but I'm just a little bit opposed. There was a little while that I was sort of just sick of it, to be honest. That's okay. We can all relate. (laughs) But uh, tell us now how do you describe Tin Can Studios and some of your, what what you're known for. So over the years, uh, when we started 10 years ago, my, my main focus was trying to be as sustainable as possible. Not that we really fully knew what that meant, because there, it was a new thing. You yeah. know, the no foam movement was like obvious to me, uh, but there were other things that I'm honestly just learning. There's always new, new things that we're learning. And my latest has been, to be honest, um, the um, just invasive species, yeah. because I grew up in Sweden foraging, and that was very natural to us, because... There's a law like where you can just go out in the woods and take whatever you want. Everyone does it responsibly. So that's sort of how I grew up. So I never, like I didn't realize, you know, I, I, I feel kind of dumb, but invasive species is something I've been learning more about mm-hmm. recently. But um, back to your question, our main focus is um, large scale events, basically. Um, and then sustainability is something we talk to our clients about a lot. It's not something I usually put front page on my Instagram or my, my right. website, but we do definitely the one thing that I think that I'm sort of very proud of is educating our clients um, about what sustainability is. Um, and again, that might keep changing, but there's some really obvious things, you know, the foam, no bleach, no dyed. Um, we also try to recycle as much as possible and we're 
uh, doing less and less single-use plastic. I mean, tape is one of those things that we're trying to get away from. Tubes, some people use hundreds of tubes. We're trying to use less and less tubes, but reuse if we are... But I still think, like, using hundreds of tubes and reusing might not be the best. You know, so there's things like that um, that we're constantly working on. Um, There's new ways of, you know, new mechanics... With that said, like when I started out, there weren't, there were no ocean pouches, there was no agarwool. It's still tricky with those mechanics, but so we were experimenting with things like watermelon and water sources and building structures and using less. Honestly, in the beginning, we when we used we used foam, we would just use three blocks instead of a hundred blocks or something like that, and then. But um, it was more intuitive. It sounds like just your philosophy about just the throwaway culture yeah. that kind of led you to this. Because you, you mentioned to me that you, you, you know, took some floor design classes, but you really come at this as a designer yep. and artist, um, not necessarily someone who's started with floral as your medium. You're exa- exactly right. I, I didn't know anything about the floral world, and I came in as a designer. I went to Parsons, um, was a graphic designer for a few years. I had previously worked in the event industry, and when I started working with flowers, the main thing for me was seeing actually, I don't know if people believe this when I say it, but just tossing entire bases in the garbage, like these the uh, whole composition. the whole thing, like entire structures. I recall doing events um, with event planners where there were, you know, they would build entire sets. And I, would, I, I used to work with this company called Recycle Brooklyn, and they would take old wood and reuse it. And I said, oh, we can take that set. They'll love to take it. Oh, that means I have to make another call, and I have a dumpster already. I'm just going to toss it. <laughs> so, like, to me, those were like, yeah. So, like, that was, like, in throwing out entire structures, throwing out entire bases. That's what I saw mm-hmm. when I started working with flowers, and that's something I still see to mm-hmm. this day. So it's not unheard of. It's very, very common. Uh, the event industry, I think, is second after the construction industry in terms of waste. Yeah. And so for us, it was like, oh, let's recycle all, all our bases. Let's not use foam, you know. And now we're learning more and more and more. And I'm teaching the sustainable methods that I use. Um, but it's still not easy. Yeah. And the other thing... It's intent, you have to be super intentional. Yeah. And honestly, it's shocking how many clients, even though we say we don't use um, painted or bleached or et cetera, we still get pictures and inspiration boards. And, and I try to educate them on the fact that this isn't even real. Like, this isn't in water. It's not hydrated. You can't, this can't last for 10 days. It's like a constant. Yeah. This, I think that's the one thing why I said this earlier, but I take pride in it because I've had clients come back after these conversations and then change the entire design just to make it sustainable. Because you've made them aware in sort of a safe way, not judgment, but just sort of pointing out, uh, we can do this more sustainably when you want to yeah, but have that kind of business. Absolutely, but it's not always, again, like, they, if they're sending me pictures of something that is, you know, first triple bleached and then painted, and it's all these, like, unnatural colors, um, which I myself have painted in the past, so I'm absolutely... Um, everyone's on, you know, on this path, but I think we all have to start opening our eyes a little bit more. But with that said, um, they might send me mood boards that only have painted and dyed and bleached. And that's sort of hard. It's not always easy to sell them on the opposite. It's not. So they see what they want and they don't necessarily 
usually in desi- the design world, they're just trying to achieve a look, and so they don't. If they, it's if, how you get there is yeah. not the consideration. So there's yeah. definite. It's definitely not. I think we spend a lot of time like talking to clients and educating clients, and that's sort of um, quite time-consuming, yeah. <laughs> to yeah. be honest, and a risk that you might lose the client also. Yeah. So well. How did you tell me a great story about how you kind of became this overnight sensation with this one project? Yeah, um, that that was in 2013, mm-hmm. right? Okay, yeah. so I'd love to have you share that. It's so, a great story. Yeah, so I basically um, was working as a graphic designer at the time, and um, but before that, I had worked with events. So my old boss uh, from the Swedish American Chamber of Commerce reached out and asked me if I wanted to do flowers for an event. Uh, it was like this farm to fork event a gala dinner with the king and queen of sweden and i would have said yes well i was like why are you asking me i don't know anything about flowers um but she wanted something conceptual and she told me that i know that you have a great eye and you're great with concepts so i basically built these crates out of salvaged wood um and just filled them with artichoke crown dill and all these like mm. very natural looking because it was supposed to feel like a swedish sort of meadow and um basically you know people walked in the room and were crying because they thought these were so beautiful because at the time um the people were just starting out with this like looser wilder style sure, sure. um and so and the other thing um so that was a, a success right off the bat and then the other thing was it always like just really broke my heart to see things go in the garbage and the flowers especially So I just popped um, some arrangements in my bike and like biked around to some <laughs> local businesses and asked them if they wanted leftovers, which they obviously they did because they were these really big uh, arrangements. And some event, an event planner um, that did a lot of work for um, LVMH saw some arrangements at a cafe and just contacted me. And from there, I was just the next a, ne- a few days later, I was doing. Flowers for like in Nate Burkus's house, um, <laughs> so like the um, sort of level we just jumped into, and then a few months later, um, this editor for El Decor Sweden reached out and asked me if I wanted to do a book. Um, so within a month, I had a book deal. Um, yeah, so we shot this book with you know pretty much like a bunch of leftovers from events. Wow. And and then um, within a year, I was featured as best florist in New York Magazine. So just things just like went spiral very very quickly. Why yeah. do you think? Why do you think that it was just a combination of things like your sort of, in a way, your you are the outsider to the industry, and so you didn't have preconceived notions, and so you had this fresh, new vibe. Yeah, I think responded to. I think one thing was that I did know the event world because I had worked with events before, mm-hmm. so I know how to speak their language. Um, and then, but then they were looking for something new. I think because there was this very sort of like a stiffer style, more mm-hmm. like white orchids, like or like ball shaped arrangements. Mm-hmm. Um, And like I said before, um, Ariella Shazar um, was one of those people that I learned about through Flower School New York because I took an intensive course there um, and saw her style and was very inspired by her. And there were other florists doing similar, like Saipu, um, Sarah Rihanan of Saipua, Amy Merrick. So there was this like movement that started around, I would say, 12 years ago with this like looser, more organic style, and that's sort of I think what these clients saw was something different, and, and responded to. Um, yeah, exactly. So I think we sort of educated them on that style as well in a way, 
Because I recall in the beginning, I was like, are they going to think this is really messy and sloppy and, and not put together? Right. But we wanted to break rules and we wanted it to look different. And so back then it was like really actually kind of like, I, like people were very like, surprised from this by the style if you consider you know a nice like and again all styles have their place in time and i'm not saying that those styles weren't beautiful but like a white ball shape versus what we do is quite different yeah i mean there's a an evo it evokes an emotion yeah do you feel like some of the other designers you mentioned who we all love and uh you know sarah and ariella have both been on the podcast um many years ago but their styles were their work was really focused on weddings, primarily weddings. Mm -hmm. And I'm just curious, were you more in the event corporate space? So I, in the beginning, I said I wasn't going to do weddings because I thought that all brides were bridezillas. So I said, I don't want to do weddings. I like concepts, so. And the graphic design training probably led to Exactly, that. Yeah. but then I had this one wedding planner reach out and she had this really interesting bride that wanted to do like dead flowers and bugs and I was like, you know, like, uh, it, she wanted it to be inspired by this Eva Hesse sculpture. So I was like, yeah, I'll do that. Like, <laughs> yeah, so that's that, my name on it. Yeah, and I think I attracted this um, a little bit more down-to-earth type client because mm -hmm. the style itself kind of draws that type of person. Mm -hmm. So I was like, this is fun. So that's when I actually also started doing weddings. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, so we do, I would say back then, for years, I would say 25% was weddings and 75% corporate. I mean, when I say corporate, we're talking like the new museum, the winter antique show, freeze art fair, you know, so it's not like corporate, corporate. But, but more corporate. like um, art events and yeah. openings and restaurants. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and a lot of like product launches and stuff like that. But then um, now we're doing a lot of uh, big weddings also, but we're being a bit selective because we don't want to become a wedding factory. But I think... Um, Lately, we are actually doing full design also, so mm. um, that has turned into like a really big part of our business. And so the whole concept for the visuals of... Yes, everything. Wow. Like um, We are involved in the lighting, we're involved in the table setting, um, furniture, everything. So Yeah. That's so great. Yeah. Well, um, I'm so glad that we got to meet. But when you kind of came on my radar was when you taught last year at the Sustainable Flowers Project that yeah. Becky Feasby and TJ McGrath uh, mm -hmm. were part of, and they invited me to speak. As I recall, Becky described you to me as someone who is highly focused on sustainability in, in, in installations, which is very difficult. Mm -hmm. And I guess that's what they had to speak about. Right? Yep. Yeah. I did a lar we did a large-scale installation there, and... That is the one thing um, that I don't have access to, which we had at the, this workshop, was local flowers. Mm -hmm. Because I don't, I don't know if people know, but in New York City, it's we. If you're doing events all year round, it's impossible basically to do all local. And the volume of flowers that you need is probably just my bottom. Yeah, I mean, and people are going to continue to do events and flowers. So you know what I see out there. There's a lot of like plastic and silk flowers and bleached and so rather than just say I'm not going to do flowers because it's wasteful and there's not enough imported I'd rather be part of it and educate clients about you know the things that I can do mm -hmm. uh, in terms of sustainability so yeah it wouldn't I don't think it's possible personally um, if it was um, or if someone knows how please tell me because I would and that's one of the reasons why we want to start the cutting garden um, here, but again, that will only be little touches. Sure, sure. So but at it, least it's, it's, a, a, it's 
it's great to educate clients and great to have a little piece of your cutting garden in anything you work on. Yes. I guess for the, well, I hadn't thought about the, just the quantity of flowers and other material you need for, say, a winter gala or something. I mean, certainly you can get branches and foliages that might be more local, but mm-hmm. it's, it's the flowers that are sort of a challenge for you. Absolutely. I mean, right now, if you go to the New York yeah. flower market, I would say maybe 10% maximum is local yeah. right now. And even, I mean, it's March, but there's some ranunculus. Um, these are from Half Tower Sons, oh, my yeah. favorite, favorite. New um, Jersey members. Yes, yes, they are. And they were actually part of the sustainability workshop with Becky yes. and TJ. Uh, and then there's a bunch of different farms, but honestly, like spring, summer, fall, but winter, there is a response. Of- this is actually also hot top. Oh, the sweet peas. Okay. Yeah. And then how about the scariosas in no, California? I would say California or Holland. I don't honestly yeah. know. Um, and then the stock might be California. Yeah, could be. Wow. But local, again, oh, yeah, oh, I see like what you're saying. <laughs> local is American. Or domestic. Yeah. Or domestic. Right, right, right. No, to I me, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. Like local, obviously, can could be cal- like domestic. Yeah, like sorry, ro- like roses from yeah, California. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. but right. that affects the budget too. Yes, indeed. Wow. So you know, it's that is the hardest part um, in terms for me. Like I would, I will always pick local first um, if I can, because not only because of the sustainability perspective, but also because they're prettier. Yeah, they're always prettier. Um, they haven't been smooshed in a box and shape changed their shape. They have they they're still hydrated. They're not like all dried out. Yeah. I mean, with that said, um, flowers. What I think is really cool with flowers that is that they're so resilient, but, but yeah, so we don't, we, that is the one part where we honestly aren't able to, yeah. yeah. Well, the seasonality is um, part of being in the Northern Hemisphere. We're just struggling with that. Yeah, and it's somewhat similar to when you grew up in Sweden. I mean, it's probably as cold there, you know, in the winter as it is here. Absolutely, but I think, I guess, I don't know, I haven't looked at the, but Holland is probably a lot closer, I mean, it, it, I don't know what they consider yeah. local, but I know because I've done quite a few TV shows there. Um, they basically, the flowers, the quality of the flowers that come up from Holland are is so much better because they come hydrated. Yeah. They go in a truck, actually. Yeah, so they're not flown. Yeah. Yeah, that's so, true. And again, I, mean, I don't know the carbon footprint. Like, I don't know. I can't. I don't know. Like, yeah. that is not something I'm a specialist That's okay. We won't hold you to it. Yeah. But uh, but if your, your work continues in Sweden. Um, yeah, I, I mean, my family is in Sweden, uh-huh. my mom, my sister, my brother, so I do go there every, I was there, I just came home two days ago wow, to see my amazing. mom. Yeah, so it's interesting to see what's going on there too, actually. Wow, well, the book that you talked about is not your most recent book, you've done no. two books. Yeah, right? so Abrams, the first book was a bestseller um, and did really well. Uh, both in Sweden first, uh, Germany, and then they translated it. It's funny because I actually did this like reverse thing where I launched in Europe first, and then Abrams, my publisher, found out about the book and asked me to translate it. And so we translated it and added 50 pages. So it looks different from the first. So it's, I always say I have like two and a half right. books. <laughs> um, and we changed the name um, for the U.S. market. And then that book was doing really well. So they asked me to do another book. And they said I could do whatever I wanted. So I basically uh, wrote a book about a little bit about the floral industry and the difficulties, actually, of being a florist. Because people romanticize this job a lot. And I want people to come in with it with open eyes because I think 
I inspired quite a few people to become florists. And then I felt like, really? Do you really want to be a florist? You the romance. Yeah. And I'm like, uh, I've been doing this for 10 years. And it's not always. I mean, you hear this all the time. So it's tough. And I kind of write a little bit about that in my book. And then I also invited a bunch of my clients and people that I've worked with over the years that have inspired me uh, to be part of the book. And so basically I created arrangements inspired by these people. Wow. Yeah. So one person is like Audrey, um, who for instance, we, I worked with, uh, we created natural dyes and then we made ribbons and napkins with her, her natural dyes with the flowers that we had leftover from weddings. Oh, wow. yeah. um, another person is um, a chef, a Swedish chef that has this Michelin star restaurant in Williamsburg that I've worked with for 10 years. Um, we featured him also and did this like uh, little tablescape that's like a journey sort of through the Swedish woods. Um, so yeah, that's sort of how the book concept came together. And then at the back of the book, we talk a lot about vases and then um, different techniques using like the watermelon or um, chicken wire, obviously. And then another one is the agua roll because it had just, I just heard about it. It hadn't launched in the U.S. yet, but they sent me a box, so I got to do one for the book. Yeah. yeah. So What's the book called? It's called uh, Flowers by Design is the second one. I was like, I always mix them up, but Handpicked is my first book, and then the second one is Flowers yes, by Design. I, that, thank you for giving me the story of Handpicked, but that, that evolved from your original book in Sweden. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So that was just like a basic kind of flower recipe book, you should yeah. say. Um, mm-hmm. um, mostly using chicken wire. And, and you see, back then, um, the tape method, Yes. I considered sustainable. Because the grid. The grid yeah. Method. So yeah. we don't do that. We don't use the tape method anymore. Um, and we've started using this twine that is uh, hemp, all hemp and compostable, right. basically. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, right. so things like that, we're, yeah. we're evolving. <laughs> yeah. Well, I appreciate you saying that. We'll share the details of both of those books yeah. and yeah. Uh, show notes Thank you. so people can find them and uh, order them. And I think we're going to switch over and have Ingrid uh, show us a little demo now. So, yeah. Thank you so much. Oh, it's oh been my, my pleasure. I love it. Thank okay. you. Thanks so much for joining us today. Be sure to follow the links to Tin Can Studios' website to find more resources, including how to purchase Ingrid's new book, Flowers by Design. You can also find the link to Tin Can Studios on Instagram, where announcements regarding future workshops and classes appear. Those are all at slowflowerspodcast.com for episode 604. Our next sponsor thank you goes to Red Twig Farms. Based in Johnstown, Ohio, Red Twig Farms is a family-owned farm specializing in peonies, daffodils, tulips, and branches, a popular peony bouquet by mail program, and their Spread the Hope campaign where customers purchase 10 tulip stems for essential workers and others in their community. Learn more at redtwigfarms.com. If you missed it, you can check out our April Slow Flowers newsletter, chock-filled with lots of news and resources. You can find the link to that in today's show notes, and I'll also add a link so you can subscribe to future issues. Our final thank you goes to the Seattle Wholesale Growers Market, a farmer-owned cooperative committed to providing the very best the Pacific Northwest has to offer in cut flowers, foliage, and plants. 
the Growers Market's mission is to foster a vibrant marketplace that sustains local flower farms and provides top quality products and services to the local floral industry. Visit them at seattlewholesalegrowersmarket.com. Thanks so much for joining me today. The Slow Flowers Podcast is a member-supported endeavor, downloaded more than one million times by listeners like you. Thank you for listening, commenting, and sharing. It means so much. As our movement gains more supporters and more passionate participants who believe in the importance of our domestic cut flower industry, the momentum is contagious. I know you feel it too. If you're new to our weekly show or our long-running podcast, check out all of our resources at slowflowersociety.com. I'm Deborah Prinzing, host and producer of The Slow Flowers Show and The Slow Flowers Podcast. The Slow Flowers Podcast is engineered and edited by Andrew Brenlin. The content and opinions expressed here are either mine alone or those of my guests alone, independent of any podcast sponsor or other person, company, or organization. Next week, you're invited to join me in putting more slow flowers on the table, one stem, one vase at a time. Thanks so much for joining me today, and I'll see you next week.